3rd John. Right near the end of the Bible, we do have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, then Jude, then Revelation. We're looking at 3rd John. Most of you know we started a new series on this little book of 3rd John. Last Sunday was our very first Sunday at it, but 3rd John. And I'd like us to begin this morning by reading verse 1 and verse 2. Again, 3rd John, only one chapter long, 3rd John, verse 1 and verse 2. If we can read that together, reading that out loud, let's begin there in verse number 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for how you've helped us this past week. And Lord, we trust that you'll help us now as we look into your word. Teach us. I know that this little book often, I suppose, doesn't come to the top of our mind. And when we try to name great books of the Bible that have helped us, but Lord, it's as much part of the Bible as any other book is. You divinely chose that. And so I pray you'd help us as we look into what we just read. Help us to learn what it means. And in this particular case, help us to learn what it doesn't mean. May our ears be open, our hearts be open. And Lord, would you direct each word that I say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, as I said, we have completed 1 John and then we completed 2 John. And it was just natural that we would go into 3 John. Uh, you know that there's many details about 1st, 2nd, 3rd John to the same. All three of those books were written by the Apostle John. All three of those books were written in uh, the later years of John's life. Uh, likely, John is 70 to 80 years of age when he wrote these things, and it seems at this time in John's life, he has some kind of a traveling ministry between churches. Uh, we would call that an evangelist, but it seems that he went to one church, was there for a while, traveled to the next, to the next. And uh, we know that there are some differences. There is some difference between 2 John, 3 John. 2 John was written to an unnamed Christian lady. We weren't given her name, but she was faithful in the church that she attended. That was 2 John. When we get to 3 John... Uh, this time it's named to, uh, sorry, it's written to a named Christian man. In fact, look there in verse number one, the elder, that's John himself, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. And so he names the man that he's writing this letter to. Uh, it would seem that he is a member of another church that John had preached in. And uh, besides uh, who Second John and Third John were written to, there's a difference in the theme of each of those books. You know that we spent uh, a number of weeks on 2 John, and, and 2 John was a warning. It was a warning that they were not to receive false prophets and teachers into their home. It seemed in 2 John that unnamed Christian woman was so hospitable that she didn't have much discernment. She was letting just anybody in to feed them a meal, give them a bed to sleep in, and John said, no, no. He said, there's people that are taking advantage of you, and those people are carrying a false doctrine. They don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So 2 John was a warning that you're not to help those that are peddling a false doctrine. 
But when we get to 3 John, and, and we see just, saw just a bit of it last week, but 3 John is an encouragement to receive true messengers. So 2 John, don't receive false messengers. 3 John, do receive true messengers. Those are the kind you do want to be hospitable about. So 2 John is a warning against being too soft to the wrong kind of influences. And 3 John is warning against being too hard to good influences. And so together, those two books would really give us a good balance. Now, hospitality is a great thing. Not everybody has it. Uh, we, we all probably could have a little bit more, but these two books give us a balance that, no, we are, we're not to be hospitable to everybody. There needs to be some discernment in that. And these two books really help us to get a good balance. Last week, as we started in 3 John, uh, we looked at three named men in 3 John. Now, what's interesting, 2 John, no one's named. Even John himself, who wrote it, isn't named. Uh, you will struggle to find any names in 1 John. Uh, you'll find the name Cain, but uh, that's Cain and Abel. That certainly wasn't somebody in that day. But what we found last week in 3 John is that there were three specific men that were named in that church. The very first one was Gaius. He was commended. He was commended because he had indeed uh, had a walk in the truth and he was hospitable. So that was a, commend, or a commended man. Second one we looked at there in 3 John was in verse number 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes. That wasn't a commended man, that was a condemned man. That man was critical of everything. And if it, if it, didn't, if it didn't somehow give him a preeminence, he was against it. So Gaius was the good man, and Diotrephes was really, if you would, the bad man. Uh, but one verse was given to a third man, that's there in verse number 12, Demetrius. And Demetrius, because only one verse was given to him, it would suggest that he wasn't a prominent person in that church, but he chose to follow the better example. He chose to follow Gaius. Folks, all of us are the product of the influences that we're under. All of us are what we are because the people that have influenced us. And really, the statements that he made in verse 12 about Demetrius, Demetrius had picked the right example to follow. So we always need to be careful who we follow. Preacher, what are we looking at today? Well, we're really going to spend the whole message this morning on verse number 2. Look there again, second, or third John, verse 2. John writes to this man, and he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. I don't know if you are aware of it or not, but that verse has become the favorite. That is the favorite verse to a group that we refer to as the prosperity gospel. There are people out there, churches out there, preachers out there, evangelists out there that are preaching a prosperity gospel. They are saying, if you just name something that you really want, if you name it and claim it, then God will give it to you. And it has no reference whatsoever to some kind of spiritual values. It is anything. In fact, look again why it is that this verse seems to suit that kind of doctrine. John writes, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper 
that would seem that that's a material prosperity. So John is writing to this man. He said, you know, I sure wish. In fact, I wish above all things that you would materially prosper. So I, we could use a word for that, wealth, that you'd have great wealth. Continuing, he not only said prosper as in wealth, but he said, and be in health. So there are some that have taken that verse and said, you see there, if you just claim it, claim wealth and claim health, it's yours. And so again, that verse, and there's others, but that seems to be the key verse that uh, there are preachers again who try to convince you that that proves that it's God's will for every believer to enjoy perfect health and to enjoy rich wealth and uh, they think it's something you can claim. Say, preacher, do people really believe that? They do. And, and there are preachers, and, and I don't know which of these names you'll recognize. Uh, some of them have already passed on, but uh, let me name you some just to kind of give you a, the radar. Oral Roberts. Uh, of course, he's passed away a long time ago. But Oral Roberts was a prosperity gospel preacher. Uh, Benny Hinn. We hear some about Benny Hinn, also Catherine Coleman. Uh, I can remember as a kid, <laughs> uh, I, I, whether it was radio or TV, I can't remember. That is a little while back. But uh, I think uh, Catherine Coleman was known for. All of them are related to the charismatic faith group. All of them are a part of that, uh, the Holiness Pentecostal Charismatic Movement. Uh, but she was one. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, that would be a name today that would uh, adhere to that doctrine. Kenneth Hagen, he's another one that would push that doctrine. And then Rodney Howard Brown. Rodney Howard Brown, for a number of years, sometime back, had what they called the Brownsville Revival. And uh, sometimes it was called the Laughing Revival. Anyone hear any of that, that, that from some of you? And literally, they would have thousands and thousands of people that would come. One of the doctrines that he pushed so hard was this prosperity gospel. And he would say, listen, if you walk with God, there is no end to the wealth that God will give you. And there is no question about the perfect health that God would give you. So when it came to the invitation time, there were just hundreds, if not thousands of people. And this continued for, for a couple of years. And some of those that he would hit in the forehead would fall back and some would be barking like dogs and some would be clucking like chickens. And that was just advertised across America and it was advertised around the world as the touch of God. He preached, if you name it and claim it, God has to give it to you. And so there were people, listen folks, that's a very appealing thing. Whether it's true or not, it's appealing. So people came from all around the world for that. And uh, they, just, they just gobbled that whole doctrine up. And again, what I'm saying is this is the verse that they pushed to prove that God was behind all that kind of teaching. Many of those ministries dwindled after a while because those that were told that they were perfectly healed, some of them in short order died. And so they pressed some of these and said, I thought you, 
said that my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, I thought you said he was healed. You know, they had to come up with an answer. How come all these people that we have healed died? That is a bit of a conundrum. And uh, so they said, well, if you aren't perfectly healed, or if you aren't uh, 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 filthy rich, then it's because of one of two things. And the two things that they said was, either you don't have enough faith to believe. So they would say, it's your lack of faith, and, and that's why I'm not able to do this for you. So it's your fault. And if it wasn't that you don't have enough faith to believe, the second excuse that they gave for why they were unsuccessful is you still have some unconfessed sin in your life. So somehow these people were relating that, listen, it, it, you can name it and claim it, and it's yours, but if you don't get it, it's your faith problem. And if you don't get it, it's your unconfessed sin problem. Do you know Jesus went into towns, and we won't take the time to look at it. Jesus went into towns where it says they had no faith. And yet he still healed some. Well, hold on. I, I thought healing depended upon our faith. And so again, this verse, and that's why we're going to take our time looking at this verse. Because with, with internet today, there is no telling the kind of things that Christians listen to. Now, see, so say, Pastor, does sec or third John verse two, does it really teach a prosperity gospel? Is that really what it teaches? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I know that some take notes, and uh, if you're taking notes, my title is "What About the Prosperity Gospel?" Again, what about the prosperity gospel? Let's look there in verse two. Most of these, we're going to look at verse two. John says to this man Gaius in the church, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Could I take out of that verse just a few words to highlight so you understand the first point? John said, I wish, I wish. John says, I wish, and just a few words later, that thou mayest not a lot of concrete there. I wish that thou mayest. Do you know, could I begin by saying that John is not telling this man Gaius that he has a New Testament promise of perfect health and complete wealth. He's not saying that this is a doctrine and this is a Bible promise, Gaius, that you can hold up to God and you can hold God to this. It's not a promise at all. I wish. Could I say, if, if you're writing notes down, the first thing to notice about this prosperity gospel, the first thing, earthly prosperity may be a desire, but it isn't a doctrine. Earthly prosperity may be a desire, but it's not a doctrine. To have abundant wealth, to have a perfect health, are not two things that Gaius could go to God and say, God, you have to. God, I'm claiming this. You won't find that as a promise anywhere in the Scriptures, and the way that we know that is he is saying, I wish. Um, again, John's desire is that Gaius would enjoy material prosperity and health. 
just as much as Gaius already enjoyed spiritual prosperity. Look at the verse again. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. So he, oh, his soul already was prospering spiritually. His soul was, spiritually, this guy was doing great. And John said, you know what, I know spiritually you're on, on target. I, I know that spiritually things are going well in your life. I just wish that financially it was going well. I just wish that your health was going well. Again, I say to you, the very first thing that we learn is earthly prosperity may be a desire, but it's not a doctrine. Again, he's saying, Gaius, I know that you're spiritually in good shape. Thy soul prospereth. But he said, I, I just wish that your physical condition, your health, your wealth would prosper as well as your soul has prospered. Again, I think the key word in understanding is he uses the word wish. John's wishing this. Uh, say, Pastor, that word wish, it's a, it's a desire for. That word wish is a longing for. It's a strong inclination to. It's something that we'd really, really like to have. All of us, I suppose, have said to someone, I, I, I wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> I, I mean, it's Mrs. Lutzer's birthday. We're, we're all wishing her out. She can't take that to the bank and say, well, he said, you know, happy birthday. And then, no, it's a wish. It, it, you, it, it's a desire. How many times have we wished somebody a happy anniversary? You say, well, Pastor, I never use the word wish. Well, it's a Bible word, so I think it would be a little safe. But this word wish, it's not a Bible promise. It's, it's a personal desire. I think, I, 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 some, I suppose that some of us have wished that people who have just gone through some tremendous trials in their life, we wish that their next year will be the best year yet. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It, just like there's nothing wrong with John's wish that this Christian man would enjoy physical prosperity and uh, medical prosperity. There's nothing wrong with wishing things. But that's all it is, is a wish. And so again, I say to you as we're looking at the subject of the prosperity gospel, first thing is earthly prosperity may be a desire but it's not a doctrine. Do you know, promises, Bible promises, man, you, you can take that to God and say, God, you promised that. Now, sometimes God, God's promises, you can't always claim in your time, but if it's a promise, God's going to keep it. God promised to restore the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 11, there, there are people that are trying to steal that promise to the nation of Israel and claim it for the church. If God promised that he is going to restore the nation of Israel, God's going to do it. Now, he might not do it when you thought or you want, but God's, I'm saying the word promise, you can take to the bank. Uh, do you know that word promise, promising, promised? We find 118 times in the Bible. Is that what means there are at least 118 promises. I think there's way more than that, but there's at least 118 Things that are promised. Listen, you could take that to the bank of heaven and say, God, you promised. He might say, I'm going to do it. Just not today. But a promise you can hold God to. 
As much as that word promise and variations have found 118 times in the Bible, do you know the word wish is only found nine times in the Bible? And so it's, it's a Bible word. Let me give you some examples. We won't turn to it, but uh, they're in Psalms 40 and verse 14. David wrote this, Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. You know, there are some people that actually wish that others would fail and others would falter. So it's a desire. You know that word wish, we find that word in Psalm 73 and verse 7. They have more than heart could wish. We probably use something like that. Man, that guy's got a lot of stuff. That, that woman has a lot of stuff. She has more than I could ever wish. But it's just a desire. That's all wishes. I, I, I think of there over in Jonah. You know, we're looking at Jonah Wednesday night. It says in chapter 4 that the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and that he fainted and wished in himself to die. Aren't you glad God doesn't fulfill all of our wishes? <laughs> yeah, I just wish I'd die. Well, God said, I hear you. It's not a good one, so forget it. I think over there in the book of Acts, the Bible talks about Paul being arrested and he's on a ship making his way to Rome. Acts 27, verse 29, Then fearing, lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Well, they wanted the day. Uh, haven't some of us had a rough night of sleep? Maybe not this week, this month, this year, but you've probably had a night somewhere. And didn't you wish for daylight? Didn't you wish for morning to come? That's what wish is. It's a strong desire. Paul said, uh, Paul, John said to Gaius, Gaius, you got your spiritual life all figured out. God bless you for it. I wish in addition to that, that your health was better. And I wish in addition to that, that your financial situation was better. But it's just a wish. Again, we're looking this morning at what about uh, the prosperity gospel. The first thing is earthly prosperity may be a desire, but it isn't a doctrine. Why is that so important to establish? Because these name it and claim it. Preachers, these prosperity gospel preachers, they want to convince you that God is obligated to satisfy all of our wishes, and He's simply not. God does not have to fulfill every wish that you, if you've driven by the ritzy end of town, wherever that would be, and, and drive down those streets and, and say, Boy, I sure. I sure wish I lived in a house like that. Well, you might not when the tax bill comes, but I sure wish I lived in a house like that. It's okay to have wishes. There's nothing wrong with wishes. But you can't take wishes to God and say, God, you have to. And that's exactly what this prosperity gospel crowd is. They, they have said, listen, you can demand this and expect this of God. That simply would not be accurate. And, and again, they, these name it and claim it preachers want to convince you God has to. But John wrote here, beloved, I, I wish, it, it's really a desire that I have for you. But it's just my desire. I give you a second thing. Look there in 3 John verse 2. Not only earthly prosperity may be a, a desire, but it isn't a doctrine. Again, 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, 
even as thy soul prospereth. Could I tell you that there is three kinds of prosperity this verse talks about? Look at it again in verse number two. First thing he talks about, that thou mayest prosper. If, if I could say this, that's a financial prosperity. That's a, a material prosperity. It might be money in the bank. It might be houses or lands or, or vehicles or whatever. And so the first kind of prosperity this verse talks about is a financial prosperity. If we use one word, we'd say wealth. So one kind of prosperity is wealth. Uh, there's a second kind of prosperity. Look again in verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, that's financial prosperity, and be in health. Well, now that's a bodily prosperity. You know, it's true that the older we get, things just stop working. Uh, that's why Barry's about to have surgery on his hand, as things aren't working. Uh, some of us take more medicine than we want. <laughs> because it's not working. Now, if you're young and 20, God bless you. You say, preacher, I don't, I don't have an aching pain anywhere in my body. Rejoice. Today, it might not stay. And you know what? If, if you get busy in life and work hard, inevitably, somewhere there's going to be a fall or somewhere there, you're, you're with an air gun, you're going to shoot a nail into your finger and that finger will never be the same. They'll, they'll pull the nail out. In fact, they'll pull that nail and that nail. They're going to pull it out, but you will the rest of your days. So the first kind of prosperity the verse talks about is financial prosperity or, or material prosperity. We call that wealth. Second kind of prosperity is physical or bodily prosperity. We'd call that health. But there's a third kind of prosperity in that verse. Look at it again, Third John verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. That's materially and be in health, that's bodily, even as thy soul prospereth. If I could use these two words, that's spiritual well-being. So that's somebody that's spiritually prospering. They might not have a nickel to their name. They, they might not have a dollar bill, which we call loony. They might not have a loony in their wallet. And they might have closed their bank account because the monthly interest is just soaked to dry. You can be financially broke, and your health can be so bad the doctor said there's nothing we can do. But you can be spiritually well. You can prosper spiritually. You know, those are three different kinds of prosperity. One of them, in God's estimation, rises higher than the others. Say, well, which one? It's a spiritual one. Now, again, there are many that go to this verse and they say, well, it seems, be careful of the word seems, it seems that John is telling Gaius that the material prosperity and the health are the most important. I want, I want you to look closely because that's what the prosperity gospel preachers are saying, that you have a right to chase after material prosperity and, and wealth and health. But John wrote, and again, they take that, look at the words, and they kind of stop halfway in the verse when they try to promote that. Beloved, I wish above all things Pastor, it sure looks like John is holding up that wealth and that health right at the top. 
keep reading. Don't stop there. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. You know what John's saying to him? You've already got that spiritual well-being. You've already got that thing figured out. With that thing figured out, I sure wish God would help you with these two. But John wasn't putting those two above the spiritual well-being. John was acknowledging that this guy's spiritual well-being was already where it was supposed to be. If you're taking notes, would you write the second truth down about prosperity gospel? Earthly prosperity must be secondary to spiritual well-being. Earthly prosperity must be secondary to spiritual well-being. Do you know, John is saying, yes, one of these rises higher. One of these is more important than the rest. And uh, again, there are those that want to twist this verse for their intention. So they're trying to say, well, no, John said that he wished this above all things, but that was said to a guy who already had his spiritual well-being in place. You know, it's true that you can be physically prosperous and have no time for God. In that case, physical prosperity in the bigger picture means nothing. It doesn't help if you're filthy rich. If God is nowhere on your radar. You know, it's true that uh, one day we're going to breathe our last breath. And from that point forward, the wealth that you enjoyed won't mean anything. One day we're going to breathe our last breath and the health that you enjoyed won't mean anything. But one day when we breathe our last breath, it's the spiritual prosperity. It's the spiritual investments. It's our spiritual well-being that will have earned all of the rewards for eternity. And so that's the problem with saying it's so important to me that I get wealthy. Well, it might be important in the short picture of your 70 years. But that's not going to be an eternal thing. See, it's so important that I have perfect health. I heard this said, and I think it's true, that normally in the first half of people's life, they will waste their health to gain some wealth. How many understand what I just said? People, people work 25 hours a day, eight days a week. You can't do that. People will, will literally run their body through a ringer in order to amass wealth. But again, many of them that do that, God isn't on the radar anywhere. So that's not smart. And then when it comes to the last half of their life, now their, well, now their health is just beaten to pieces. I mean, it, it, took their, it took a toll on their health. So now all the money that they have amassed, now they're using all of that money to somehow regain their health. And there are some people like that. They're just like, you know, it's so important to me to keep, you know, to keep in shape. And to keep, well, that, yes, that, that has its place. But it's not more important than the spiritual well-being. And so if, if, if you're chasing good health, or me, or if we're chasing good health or good wealth at the expense of God, 
Well, God's not impressed. That's not what God wants. And that's why when John said, I wish above all things about your wealth and your health, he was saying that to a man whose spiritual well-being was already doing well. Listen, folks, if, if you're living for God and love God and serve God and do the best you can, and you're, you're open to whatever God wants in your life, and yes, God, I'll do If that's you, if you don't have to sacrifice your spiritual well-being for good health, then by all means, chase after good health too. If you love God and serve God and walk with God and listen to God and you're willing to say yes to God, whatever God says, and God can bless you with finances and a bigger house and a bigger car and a bigger mortgage and a bigger... Well, God bless you for it. As long as you don't have to sacrifice God to get there. Again, we have seen two things already about this prosperity gospel. First thing, earthly prosperity may be a desire, but it isn't a doctrine. And second thing, earthly prosperity must be secondary to spiritual well-being. And uh, again, how important it is to get those in the right order. Our soul's condition, that's being saved and surrendered to the Lord, is far more important than any other detail of our life. Uh, someone wrote this. They said, to lose your wealth is much. They continued, to lose your health is more. But they said, but to lose your soul is such a loss that nothing can restore. Uh, do you know what, so preacher, how can you be so sure that health and wealth aren't God's sure promises to every believer who lives for God? Because Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, Man, he spiritually had it figured out. He was the son of God. But when it came to wealth, he didn't have it. It, it says over there that uh, the son of man hath not, uh, does not know where to lay his head. He didn't, know, he didn't have a place he could call home. He was the son of God. Uh, next to Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul. Goodness me, the apostle Paul. I mean, God was using that man. But you know, at the end of his life, everything that he owned to his name, he either had on his back or in a knapsack. In fact, over there in, in uh, 2 Timothy, have a look, keep your hand in 3 John if you would. Uh, look there in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Again, you say, well, preacher, I just think that anybody that lives for God and loves God and serves God is guaranteed perfect health and perfect wealth. You won't find that with the Apostle Paul. You won't find that with Jesus Christ. Look there in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Paul is writing this to Timothy. They're not in the same place at this time. Verse number 13, 2 Timothy 4.13. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, the cloak, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. Well, Paul. I don't know anyone that's more committed to God than you. You must have 50 coats. You must have 50 cloaks. He said, no, that's, that's it. That's all I got. Can you bring that? I, I left it. Doesn't sound like somebody is materially prosperous, though they certainly have spiritual well-being. Uh, having said that, not only was Paul not wealthy, look back there in Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4. And uh, Galatians chapter 4, look there in verse number 13. Paul writes this, and this is earlier in Paul's ministry that Galatians was written. Galatians chapter number 4, look at verse 13. 
Paul says, you know how that through infirmity of the flesh I preached. Stop right there. Infirmity of flesh. That is some kind of a physical ailment. Well, Paul, surely you love God. Yeah, he did. Surely your spiritual well-being is in place. Yes, it is. Then how could Paul, how could you have infirmity of the flesh? Because having perfect health, it might be a desire, it might be a wish, but it's not a doctrine. Again, you're still in there in Galatians 4, verse 13. Uh, he says, uh, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, so Paul had that, while he served God, I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation which was in my flesh, something Paul, Paul was not sound in body. <laughs> And there's all kinds of guesses. I've heard some say, I, I think the problem that Paul was given to keep him humble after he had a glimpse of heaven, some say, I, I think the problem that Paul had was he, 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 stuttering. He couldn't, could, just couldn't speak right. Some say that. And that's why they said his speech is contemptible. Uh, there's others that would say it was Paul's eyesight. He, 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 never, he never could see well. I, I would lean toward eyesight. Say, Pastor, why would you say that? Well, I'll keep reading here. Galatians chapter 4, verse 14. And my temptation, that's this physical infirmity, and my temptation which was in my flesh, he despised not. He said, you didn't make fun of me for what I had to deal with physically, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 15. Where is then the blessedness you speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. That's why I think that the eyesight is probably a stronger case. He said, you people said you would you'd take out your own, own eyeballs and give them to me to help me because I've been a blessing to you. The whole point, whether it's stuttering, whether it's eyesight, whatever it is. Here's a man that had perfect spiritual... Great spiritual well-being. His health was terrible. His wealth was terrible. I'm saying to you, secondly, we have learned the simple fact that earthly prosperity must be a secondary to spiritual well-being. You might have to sacrifice your wealth to stay surrendered to God. And you or I might have to sacrifice our health to say surrender. It'd be great if you can have all three. But if you can't have all three, chase after the spiritual well-being, that's the more important. Heard of a pastor, I think it was back in 1987. He, he and his wife went to visit China, went to visit Hong Kong, some of the islands there. They got to visit a number of underground churches. And one of the churches that they got to visit, they were able to meet two young Chinese women, Christian women, very courageous women, who risked their life weekly to help get the gospel out. It turns out that they would slip in from one of the neighboring countries into China each week, and they mailed dozens and dozens of Bible correspondence courses they knew if they could get to a Chinese post office that it would, be, it would get there more likely. They also knew that if they were caught, they'd be imprisoned. 
So this American pastor, through an interpreter, in, in talking to them and just being inspired by their willingness to sacrifice some earthly things to do some spiritual things, this, this U.S. pastor said, have you ever heard of the health and wealth doctrine? Have you ever heard of the prosperity teaching? And he said, no, we never have. What is it? And again, through an interpreter, he explained to them that there were some in North America who taught that it's God's will for all of his children to be healthy and wealthy. And when he said that, these two young Chinese Christian ladies, they just shook their head. And they just uh, kind of laughed softly. And he said, what's so funny? And they said, I, I don't think that Christians in China would fall for a teaching like that. Because we all know that there are some things that we've had to sacrifice in order to serve our God. Say, so, preacher, I, I'm, I don't want that kind of sacrifice. Prosperity gospel doesn't have room for sacrifice. It thinks you have a right to claim it all. I say the second thing that we learn here is, uh, is that uh, earthly prosperity must be secondary to spiritual well-being. Back to 3 John. Again, 3 John verse 2, the prosperity gospel people, preachers, evangelists, they'll wave 3 John verse 2 as the proof for their teaching a prosperity gospel. And yet, do you know what, as you look closer into it, 3 John verse 2 is actually a proof against the prosperity gospel? You say, Pastor, how is that? Well, look at verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Gaius spiritually was doing great. In fact, look at verse 3. John says a little more about Gaius. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. John said, spiritually, you got it going. Man, you're great. Hold on a minute. If he spiritually had things going great, why did John still have to wish that physically and materially he'd also do well? That must mean that physically and materially he wasn't doing well. Folks, that verse, instead of being a proof text for the prosperity gospel, is a proof text against it. Listen, if I walked up to you and said, you know, I really wish that God would grow your hair. <laughs> I haven't said that to anyone yet. Maybe after the service. Do you know what that wish implies? You have trouble with hair. <laughs> or you have no hair. I'm not going to wish... Uh, afro, who has an afro anymore? I, I'm not going to wish that a guy that has an afro, I said, man, I, I just wish God would bless you with more hair. <laughs> no one says that to a guy that has that kind of hair. But you say to someone that has no hair or very little, man, I really wish God would help you with your hair. Uh, if, uh, in, instead of that example, if I said, you know, I, I wish that you'd get a driver's license. Well, the implication of that is you don't have one. So when John says to this man who is clearly walking in truth and clearly spiritually prosperous, 
Boy, I sure wish that your health was better. And I sure wish that your wealth was better. The implication is his health is not well. And his bank account is not well. How's that possible? If the prosperity gospel is true, it's not possible. You might have to sacrifice one or both to keep that spiritual well-being. They're not all the same. They're not all the same importance. I give you a third thing. Third John, again, verse number two. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. You know, if you'd reason with me, if all that John could say to Gaius, who spiritually was doing well, was, I wish that materially and health-wise you're doing better. If all that he could say is, it's a wish of mine, well, then Gaius didn't have it. Why would, why would some people, even though they don't have it, make it such a priority? Could I say this, and if you're going to get offended, here we go. Third thing, earthly prosperity appears to the carnal, sorry, appeals to the carnal side of a Christian. And that's why that prosperity gospel message appeals to so many. Listen, it, 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 you tell somebody that can't afford to buy, they have to rent, and don't really know where they're going to live next week or next month, and their food's kind of short, and they just don't have, they don't have enough gas to get through the end of the month. You tell somebody like that that they could have all the gas, all the food, uh, nicest house. Why do people jump at that in spite of the fact that they know clearly that's never been a promise from God? Because it appeals to the carnal side of us. Now, folks, we can't separate our flesh from our Christian life. But we don't have to feed that flesh. And that whole prosperity gospel is embraced by so many because it appeals to the carnal side of us. We're not supposed to feed the carnal side of us. We're supposed to feed the spiritual side of us. It's dangerous when a Christian's desire for earthly prosperity gets ahead of his desire for spiritual prosperity and if you or I chase another dollar with little regard for how it will affect us spiritually, it may cost us more than we imagined. And the Bible has plenty of examples of that. Wasn't it true that Eve messed up? Because the devil came to Eve and said, Eve, you could have so much more if you just took of that tree. But God said, don't take of it. Why would she ignore God and do clearly what God said don't do? Because it appealed to her carnal side. Uh, we know about Balaam. He was a false prophet there in Numbers 22, 23, 24. And, uh, but he was a prophet. And King Balak of Moab sent messengers and said, Listen, we'll give you whatever you want if you'll just come and curse this people, Israel. Well, Balaam went to God that night and said, Lord, what do you think? <laughs> he didn't know, so he thankfully asked God. God said, don't go. He said, those are my people. You can't, you can't curse them. They're blessed. 
well, the next, next thing we find out is he's on his animal heading that way. What? God's already said no. Why would you do what God has said no? Because there's just something about that that appeals to the carnal side of us. Aren't we glad that that's not what all of the characters in Scripture did? Our Lord Jesus was taken by Satan to that high mountain. And Satan said to Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, All of this will I give thee if you'll just worship me. And Jesus said, better sense than often we do. And Jesus said, for me to do that, I would have to sacrifice my spiritual well-being, my walk with God, my communion with my Father. No, he didn't let any appeal affect and change what he should do for God. I see the third thing that we learn is uh, earthly prosperity appeals to the carnal side of a Christian. I give you the last thing, and believe it or not, we have to leave Third John. Look there, if you would, in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter number 8. So, preacher, what, what do we know about earthly, or sorry, prosperity gospel? Well, first of all, we know it may be a desire, but it isn't a doctrine. Matthew chapter 8, second thing, earthly prosperity must be secondary to spiritual well-being. Third thing is earthly prosperity appears to the carnal side of a Christian. And we have to be careful about feeding the carnal side. But the last thing here is Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 is talking about Jesus' public ministries. He went from city to city to city. Look there in Matthew 8, verse 16. When the even, that's evening, when the even was come, they brought unto him, unto Jesus, many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. <laughs> Wow, you can imagine that the prosperity gospel preachers love that verse too. Everybody was healed. Pastor, if everybody was healed, it must be God's will then that everybody be sound in health. That's the logic that they use. If that's not enough, they go to verse 17. Look there in Matthew 8, 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah. We know that's Isaiah, the prophet saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. When Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus dying on the cross to pay for our sins, he said, in Jesus' work, for, work of atonement, in his atonement work, in his Calvary work, was also included a healing of all our infirmities. And so with verse 16, the prosperity gospel, people say, well, you see there, it's God's will that everybody be healed. That's why Jesus healed all of those people when he stopped in that city. And then they get to verse 17. Well, look at that. Sound health and, and healing is part of the atonement. You know, it is part of the atonement. But you don't get all the parts when you get saved. You know how many things, the moment that we got saved, we got instantly. Uh, the Bible promises that uh, if you get saved, that uh, God promises that he'll give you a complete forgiveness of sins. You know, we got that the moment we got saved. You know, God promises that when 
We get saved, our name will be written in heaven. We got that the moment we got saved. Do you know that God promises that the Holy Spirit will move inside and permanently indwell us? We got that the moment that we got saved. But you know, when we got saved, we were also promised a home in heaven. Folks, we haven't got that yet. I know that we're seated in heavenly. I understand that. But folks, we're not there yet. That was part of the atonement. But we don't get all of the benefits that come with the atonement right now. We don't get heaven right now. It's coming. It's promised. It will be ours. You know, there is a promise of perfect understanding. We don't have that yet. There, there is a promise that we would have a new body with no sickness. We don't get that yet. When you get saved, there's a promise that we'll be supplied not only with every need, but we'll be supplied with every want. We don't get that yet. i give you the last thing if you're taking notes. The last thing is earthly prosperity is a future promise, not yet fulfilled. Earthly prosperity is a future promise, not yet fulfilled. Uh, this name it and claim it crowd would have you believe that you can get all of the benefits that were accomplished at Calvary now. And that's simply not true. We don't get them all now. Listen, if you had them all now, what would be the incentive of heaven if you had them all now? God, I think, has hold the, held the best. He used to say the best is yet to come. Uh, I used to hear preachers talk about when they went to someone's house, they were put before a table and they had their plate and, and all that food was set out, and, but they had a dessert spoon. And they knew what all the rest of the cutlery was for because they saw that food laid out that table. But they knew that spoon. Man, that's for dessert. They said, well, that's the best as yet. Folks, we have the best yet to come. Whatever blessings you've enjoyed as a Christian, thank God for each one. But we haven't got them all yet. The prosperity gospel wants to insist that you get all the benefits of the atonement now. And the truth is, we are still waiting for some of those things. And that crowd would have you believe you get all the benefits now. They'll tell you you can write your own ticket. God will have to sign it. But the truth is the lion's share of Calvary's benefits are not until we get to heaven. And uh, it's a mindset. And we sing this hymn, uh, the wor uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Do you know there's nothing particularly blessed about being poor? There's no great virtue in being poor. Most of you would have no problem saying, amen, Pastor, I know that. But you know that there's also not any particular blessing about being rich. Because those that have riches have battles, and somehow God never shows up on the radar of those battles. That's why Solomon, Solomon wrote this, uh, remove, he wrote this to God, remove from me vanity and lies, give me neither poverty that's poor, 
nor riches feed me with food convenient for me. Why, Solomon, why wouldn't you want to be richer lest I be full and deny thee? And say, who is the Lord? You know, there's a story told of a Texas billionaire. Of course, he had no consideration for God in his life. And uh, he made plans that when he died, he wanted to be buried in his Cadillac. <laughs> sure enough, he died. So the undertakers, they dug an enormous grave big enough for his Cadillac. And uh, they set the Cadillac on this kind of an elevator system. He had money, he could afford it. On this elevator system, and they put him in the Cadillac in his sportiest clothes. They put a cigar in his mouth. They seated him behind the steering wheel, and they even set the speedometer to 80 miles an hour. <laughs> and some of his, he's a billionaire, some of his millionaire friends came to the funeral. And as they were slowly lowering that Cadillac into that ground, some of those millionaires, I mean, they were just wiping tears from their eyes. They say, man, that's real living. <laughs> no, it's not. That's dying. And you know, all of his money wasn't doing him any good at that moment. It didn't mean anything. And I'm just saying to you, you know what? Some people think that gain is godliness. If I just have more, it's proof that I have a walk with God. It's not at all. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you happy with what you got? You're happy with your walk with God. See, Pastor, my walk with God probably has suffered a bit because of some of the choices I made. If you still have breath in your lungs, you can change that. But don't get lured in by this prosperity gospel that you have a right to expect God to give you perfect wealth and perfect health. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. If God blesses you with it, use it for God. But don't sacrifice God to get 